by the time I'm writing, I have the the image in my head that I try to then translate. And it's hard because I have sometimes these great scenes where it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it just doesn't translate over into words very well, uh, or it takes too long or, um, so the, the project I'm working on now is a graphic novel, which has been a lot of fun because I'm not limited by language. Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lem, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camro. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew. I'm an autistic entrepreneur, software engineer, co-host of this podcast, and the better pickleball player between Eileen and myself. Today, our guest is Christina Bauer. Uh, Christina is an author of fantasy books. She thinks fantasy books are like bacon. They just make life better. She has written more than 45 novels that feature demons, dragons, wizards, witches, elves, elementals, and a bunch of random stuff that she brainstorms while writing The Boston Tea. That's a train, Eileen. No, um, okay. Christina is on the autism spectrum and currently studying for her master's degree in history at Harvard University. She lives in Newton, Massachusetts with her husband, son, and semi-insane golden retriever, Ruby. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And one thing I should have added on to that is that my son is 19 and he is on the uh, autism spectrum and nonverbal. Oh, Yeah. That's uh, that's definitely very interesting. That's my situation too. He's not nineteen, but he is. Uh, he's ten and nonverbal. Back to you, Andrew. Okay. So we like to ask every guest how they prefer to identify, and we don't mean uh, pronouns, although you're welcome to share those as well. Uh, we mean autistic, autistic on the spectrum, uh, person with autism, Asperger's. Do you have a preference? Uh, not having a preference is also an option. That's a great question. And I appreciate you asking it. So because with I know a lot of people who are in my sort of situation where we don't appear different right away, uh, like to be called an autistic woman. But because my son is, it's very clear that he's different from the moment you meet him. So um, I like to lead with the fact that he's a person. So he's my son on the autism spectrum. And I do the same thing in solidarity. So I'm a woman on the autism spectrum. So speaking of autism, can you tell us about your own autism diagnosis journey? And maybe you can tell us a bit about your sons too. Sure. Uh, so I, I mean, when I was a, a kid, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't a lot of awareness about this stuff. So I was, a, uh, I would flap my hands a lot. I wasn't great at making eye contact. I'd walk into walls. I'd tell stories to myself for hours and hours and hours. I was a uh, third kid in a family of six in a um, Roman Catholic family outside Buffalo, New York. And I loved telling my stories and I would just get bored during school and stand up and start telling my stories in the middle of class. And uh, at first grade, Sister Virginia decided that this was not cool. So she sent me over to a 
uh, a priest who in that day and age, that was what you did to get, have my IQ tested and see if I needed to go into, uh, you know, kind of an institutionalized setting, which was a thing that you could do then. And uh, he was my first fan. I told him my stories for like 45 minutes. And he was, he told Sister Virginia, you have to let this girl tell her stories. So she had to set aside uh, five minutes for me at the end of every school day where I could tell my latest story. Um, and I just, I learned how to, uh, uh, to, to fit in, I think a lot, like a lot of people from, from my era and even today. So, you know, the way I try to describe it is like, you, you're around neurotypical people and they're like, isn't it so terrible when you're riding the roller coaster at the amusement park and you're, there's nobody sitting next to you. And as an autistic person, you're like, you're in a roller coaster in an amusement park. Like, why are you there? What are you doing? Why do you want people with you? Like, there's this whole kind of structure and understanding that neurotypical folks have about how the world works. That's just like not there. It's a gift and a curse, you know? So, so I'm going to interrupt you with something yeah. that reminded me. I just saw a cop. So one of my favorite instances of that, because it was so like obvious, like after the fact, is I had a former employee who was, he, he we, we were very much friends too. And like how I rag on Eileen, right? Um, I, yes. So, and he was telling me how over the weekend, how he, he was sad, he was all alone and he went to Chipotle for Cinco de Mayo. So my first question is, well, what did you have? And he said he ordered tacos. And, and I'm literally amazed. I didn't even know Chipotle had tacos. And if you <laughs> did, who orders the tacos at Chipotle? I, right, I right, right. I get you know, it. Um, yeah. I don't know whether that cheered him up in the moment, but at least <laughs> afterwards, you know, kind of got him away from the crying at Chipotle. You know, it's like, who yeah. orders the tacos at Chipotle? I didn't, did you uh -huh. know they had tacos? I, I, um, I did know that they had tacos. Yes, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't something that I knew right away. It took me a little while to discover that on the menu. So you see the correlation between your story though. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, I also had a lot with, uh, in high school where when I'm really listening to somebody, cause I take in a lot of sensory information and it gets overwhelming very quickly. So if, and auditory is my primary way of taking in the world. And so if I'm really paying attention to you, I'm not going to look at you. I'm just going to listen because I'm getting a lot from your voice. Um, and that wasn't a popular thing in high school. I almost got like kicked out for being insubordinate with the, again, more nuns. I don't know why that was, but that's what happened. Um, but eventually I learned that if you look at somebody right here, that gives the neurotypical person the illusion that you're making eye contact and you don't actually have to make eye contact. So, um, you know, little hacks like that. And then I just kind of like put it off that I was, you know, awkward kid. I liked D and D. I was a dungeon master. I thought, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> and then when my son, uh, he seemed, you know, typical for his first year and a half that he lost all language. He stopped making eye contact. He started doing lots of repetitive behaviors and he got diagnosed. And as I learned about him, I realized like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, they're, uh, we we are we are at different uh, parts of the same spectrum, and uh, it's been a um, it's been a cool journey to um, to realize that he brings so much beauty and joy into the world, separate from his ability to give speeches, make money, or you know have progeny, and kind of being able to open up 
my eyes to the beauty of myself that I didn't want to accept before because I just saw it as different and weird and wrong. So, uh, you know, and that's like a 10 year long journey with a lot of therapy, but that's where I got. So I'm assuming you like fantasy books, right? Yeah. I mean, there is like the shoemaker walks barefoot. I've never seen a messier house than somebody who cleaned houses for a living, but you probably like fantasy books. Um, so it seems, was there, did you get into fantasy writing because you liked telling the stories uh, and, and, or was there like a book that like also truly inspired you? Yeah. So I, I just always wanted to tell, uh, stories. Um, but it was like it, it inspired by what I saw around me. So looking out the window from this, our lady of the blessed something school that I was in. And there was this, this, you know, that I could see the nunnery and then there was one nun who would like, you know, dust out her window every day at a certain time. And they were also building a wall. And I built up this whole thing about how she was talking to the wall contractor with this secret code using her, you know, and of course they're looking at me thinking she's completely nuts. Like she's just staring out of a window, mumbling to herself, but it was it, one day I will write the nun in the contractor story. Um, so that was sort of like the natural stuff that I came, that just came to my head. And then when I got to be a teenager, I read Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And that's still, you know, I mean, Tolkien, man, that world building that he does is phenomenal. Building his own languages and, oh God. Um, so for each, each book that I do, I build out, you know, a unique world with history and a language uh, system and a naming system and, um, and even if it's in the same world, it's going to build, it's going to explore a new part of that world. So, um, that's just from, that's my jam. That's what I love to do. So when you're, uh, when you're developing the characters, do they come first or do the story come first? Uh, in... It, it's it's like a it's more like a word sculpture so I'll start with like an idea for a character and then like the book I'm working on now they're they're twins so it's so the idea was I really want a Star Wars story and they're not making any right now so I'm going to write my own version but put it in fantasy and then I was like I always wanted to have Luke and Leia in the in the story from the beginning be pals and go running around doing stuff together and having oh, fun. so Eileen has never seen Star Wars I, I make fun of her for this constantly. So, um, yeah, that's not a good time to start into it though, because you can't even get the original releases. You know that the, the original movie theatrical release was just amazing. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So there are these two brother and sister characters, Luke and Leia, in Star Wars, and they're separated and they're you know raised different planets and stuff so I wanted them to be together so all of a sudden like watching all this I don't know if you've been following but there's been lots of new Star Wars content and you know I, I, as a as a fantasy person I'm like I want my space wizards to space wizard stop it and I want Luke and Leia back and or at least their kids running around like so finally I got so mad I'm like I'm writing this freaking book and then it got other things come in and then they're, but the, 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 the basic thing of like the twins and that they're on an adventure stays the same, but uh, stuff changes along the way as I kind of figure out different parts of the world. And there's a lot of testing things out. So for each piece of a world that stays, there are probably about 10 things that are like, you know, 
try out maybe they have maybe they're wizards no maybe they're this no like you know and toss away until just sort of like something inside me says oh that's it keep going stereotypically uh many with autism are very visual um that's I, I would say probably more con Temple Grandin, uh, you know, the good doctor, how they show very visual. Uh, I think Eileen, you're very visual. I'm uh, the complete opposite. I can't visualize literally anything. I have aphantasia. Um, so I'm just curious, are you visual, not visual, somewhere in between? I would imagine very visual. And if so, how has that helped your writing? So the test that I was given when I was a kid, uh, I'll give it to you, to you both now um is you're in a boat on a lake and it's a beautiful summer day what's the first thing you notice uh, i'll go with you eileen summer day on the lake the first thing i notice probably the the sea the ocean or the, the lake <laughs> i guess so what what about it how blue and big it is so for me, I notice the sound of the water lapping against the side of the boat. So you hear, you hear it, you don't see it. Right. For me, then I'll see it. And then the last thing I'll feel is the motion. So I go auditory, visual, kinesthetic. That's how my brain processes information. So the way I first described it was it's like reading a book. But then if people are very visual, that apparently doesn't help. I just, I know that. I know exactly as much as you've described, right? I know that there's water. I wouldn't think about the color of anything until you asked the question. So very similarly, there's an aphantasia question, which is think of a horse. Little simpler, but same concept, right? And it's, you know, the person, you know, very visual probably thinks of, and I'm looking at a picture, that's how I know. Um, you know, a horse in a field, maybe there's a saddle, maybe there isn't, there's a color of a horse. I, I know a horse exists, right? Like I, but I wouldn't put any, it's uh, just black. So. There's a kind of uh, Buddhist meditation where they, uh, um, it's called like clear mind. And one of the, which I tried for a little while. And then I, I, I just couldn't keep quiet that long but one of the things that the that that my whatever teacher did is that like that when you're least expected they just clap in your face and there's this moment where you're just completely clear mind and when you were talking about it that's what it sounded to me like there's this this you're in the moment and not necessarily oh that... no my head is a crazy place to be <laughs> my, rest assured, my thoughts are more than enough so okay yeah no um so. so do you guys, well, I guess that doesn't apply to you, Andrew, but like, you know, when you asked the question, I was thinking about like a specific lake I went to that's that's in France. And then as soon as I started like talking about like the blue lake, I could like remember like memories and see like people and then the sky and like the ice cream shop over there and, you know, memories like just with like one scene. But like, it just must be like so depressing to be like you, Andrew. I just can't I see my thought was black. I think my thought was, am I on a boat? Did you say you're on a boat or was that an assumption that I was on a boat? You're you're on a boat, you're okay. in a boat on a lake and it's a summer day. So there's no descriptors. It's yeah, no, I just interesting. Literally, just what you told me is what I think. 
so or what I it, it, it's black so so how do you read a book then um like vowels and consonants and you put the words together left like what does right. your brain do unless I'm reading Hebrew then it's right to left I just don't even understand like how like you read a book how do you even let your mind like take you there if you can't see it how does your brain process what you're reading it just doesn't make sense to me well I, every every different not less highly no um i i think that's why too um i like a lot of uh so for example i'm a fan of hard science fiction versus very like maybe more visual stuff or maybe there's more of us the story than something that's visual so like you know I'm one of three people who watches foundation actually one was on the podcast right Isaac Asimov like Arthur C. Clarke's like my favorite so like a lot of stuff where I guess the descriptions either aren't as visual or you know um sometimes if there's a very very visual author who also describes so much what I think you know some people might say like uh I think people said like either like Stephen King or Neil Gaiman or both like they, they both like probably describe too much right yeah. um so I might enjoy those because then there isn't the assumption um and then but yeah so that's yeah do you find that gives you like a superpower in other places in life well I can never have traumatic flashbacks so there is that um once I knew it was a lot easier, I think that's it, right? Like, you know, yeah. hey, so just show me on the screen, right? Versus, you know, struggling. I do remember being scared shitless as a kid, though. Like, if, like, I had to do a police sketch, like, you know, I do remember that. Like, how do people do that? Um, yeah. Call it a superpower. I mean, maybe there's some things where I can, you know, think differently, not necessarily better or worse. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, and the best part. Okay, I take that back. The movie or TV show never ruins the book for me from a visual ah, point. Story wise, yes, they 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 can screw it up. But like, I am way less likely to be annoyed that a book ruin or that the right yeah. because there was nothing in my head before, so I appreciate it. Yeah, I would think too that with software because I used to work in software before I became an author full time that it would be very helpful to be focused on what is in front of you versus getting off on like, oh my gosh, what if, you know, we rewrote this in C sharp and then I did this object and blah, 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 blah. like, you know, like just, just the facts, ma'am kind of thing. So back to your original question, I do, I do start with, um, uh, I do have a, a, like a, by the time I'm writing, I have the, the image in my head that I try to then translate and it's hard because I have sometimes these great scenes where it just doesn't it just doesn't it just doesn't translate over into words very well uh, or it takes too long or um, so the the project I'm working on now is a graphic novel which has been a lot of fun because I'm not limited by language and I can uh, um, yeah, so so it's a it's a different way of of telling the story, but a, a lot of the stuff comes from um, uh, an underlying sort of uh, feeling and understanding of how people's people relationships work and, and people's minds work. It's something that I've definitely 
interested in because, you know, having that feeling of walking in the room and everybody is in on some secret that you don't know, you know, like, like, oh crap, it's, you know, a classic example. Oh crap. I, I was invited to a, uh, to a, uh, Easter event with a, with a friend of mine and I missed the memo that I'm supposed to wear a pastel color. Like who tells you these things? Where am I supposed to find this stuff out? I'm in black, black leather boots and everybody else. Is little, like at that moment, I know, okay, something, I missed something somewhere, but there you go. Long answer. No, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, I, uh, I wrote a couple of books too, but it's, uh, not fiction at all and so it's always impressive to me i always wonder about the the creative creative process you know it's one thing to have all of these ideas but being able to make them make sense on paper you know is a uh, very impressive don't you say you wrote like 40 something 45 yeah and they're all very the way that i do it as i um I map them all the chapters on an Excel spreadsheet with themes and color coding. It's like, it's a, it's, it's mathematical. So you introduce the, um, you introduce the protagonist and there's a, what's called, I follow something called save the cat. So it's, which is named after you have a, when you, one of the things you're supposed to do when you introduce a protagonist is have them do something that makes them sympathetic within the first scene. So if you think about Disney's Aladdin, he's running around the, the the marketplace, but at the end he gives the bread that he stole to the to little starving kids, right? That's save the cat. Or you'll or it's it's kind of an inside joke where you'll how many times writers have somebody actually save kittens or a cat, you know? So there are that's just one example, and there's about 45 more steps that you that you uh, that you go through. You're also at Harvard, Harvard, yep. which is very impressive, and uh, you're studying history. Yes. What um, specifically are you studying? Are you working on uh, something specific at the moment? Why did you choose to study history? Can you tell us more? So history is also storytelling, um, and the program that I'm on is one where, because I'm not, um, I'm not a uh, um, test girl. Like I just, my logic just doesn't work with standardized testing. So I'm in a program where if you take three classes and you get a B or higher than you're in. So I've done two so far and I've gotten A's, yay. And I've one more to go. And then I'm officially in. Um, I've been studying revolutionary uh, America and uh, an interest in the um, uh, kind of the, the uh, uh, economics of our relationship with England and um, it's just, I mean, history is just fascinating. You know, there's so much that, it, that, um, that, uh, that I can pull into the different, to my writing. And if you want to have a, original content, you have to put original content in. So I, I, if someone tells me, wow, your work really reminds me of fill in the blank, I will not watch that or, you know, if I haven't already seen it. So that's kind of history, kind of filling my head with things that are, real but not what everybody else is focusing on andrew did that to you he said hey uh the character is you're you're describing that reminds me of a, a tv show before we started recording foundation yeah yeah isaac asimov i you know i i've, I've tried to get into that show not not happening as much for me yet but you have to respect isaac asimov and and his imagination with that 
Yeah, my, I, you know, it's funny. My my daughter's, you know, six, and my father read me 2001: A Space Odyssey when I was six. And now that actually seems really weird, but I did really enjoy it and get it. Like I'm like my daughter, she could <laughs> just like I was six. But anyway, yeah. So I've liked that for a long time. Um, yeah, that's been on my list to read. I guess the the book explains a lot of the stuff that's in history and movie. Um. So you also mentioned that you are a very auditory person. Um, are your books audiobooks? Do you like audiobooks? And if so, what is your favorite audiobook? And if you don't say the 10th anniversary full cast production of American Gods, your answer is wrong. Okay, now I'll let you go. So I do love audiobooks. I do narrate my own audiobooks. I've done eight of them so far. So um so, yep, that's that's that. And I will take your American Gods and I will one-up you with the original 1969 BBC production of Lord of the Rings. Best ever. Okay. Have... <laughs> it's really good. I mean, if you think Peter Jackson did a good job, nah, BBC. And actually, trivia point, the guy who plays Bilbo in the movie played Frodo in the BBC radio play. Did not know that. You'll like this. My fourth grade teacher had a uh, a tradition, and this is before the movies came out, et cetera, where he read ever where he read all four books to a fourth grade class. Oh, some wow. par- some parents were saying it was too much for fourth graders to be able to read. So he started a class for us this year playing it on cassette tape because they told him he couldn't read it to us. So he played like the audiobook. Yeah. And then they gave up. So those were the days. <laughs> so uh, thanks for the question, Andrew. So Andrew writes some of the questions and this <laughs> one is definitely Andrew's. Um, how do you say Worcester? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, it depends. Where Growing up, it, it's Rochester in, in New no, York. No, 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 no. The Boston town. She couldn't even oh, say it. Oh, 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 oh. It's, butchered uh, the word so badly. It's that... uh, Worcester. Worcester. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's Worcester. It's like Worcester. Uh, Worcester. Worcester. Yeah. Ugh. It's hard to do it with Boston accent unless you're from the area, though. It's hard to pull it off. Do, do you think there are uh, any funny nuances in writing, like not just in internationally, but like even like regionally? Like, can you notice these things? Let's see. You know, the, the thing with, with writing that, I think I I can answer is that when you get into um, almost any you know business, there's what I call the 80-20 rule, where 80% of your customers, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers. So when writing eBooks, which is what I do, that that 20% are ravenous, ravenous. Read a book or maybe even two a day, uh, um, folks. And they get to where there's very specific uh, uh, areas of interest. You know, it's kind of like a neurotypical um, hyper-focus thing, you know, where some people will only read Regency romance, which is a specific period of time or um, hot uh, Navy SEALs, uh, bear shifters. That was one that I went through a bear shifter period, like aliens. Like, so it's, uh, it's not from the, um, so people get kind of united in our, in our community, not necessarily from 
where they come from, but from these very specific sort of niches and fantasy that they focus on. And, and, and being an autism parent and writing is a, is a, a totally valid, rich area that, um, yeah, that has lots of, lots of avid readers and, and writers in there as well. What are your thoughts about AI in terms of writing? Um, I mean, or, you know, let's language learning modules, you know, I kind of in general, just hate how everybody's calling everything AI, but, you know, for content creators specifically, not just writers, but artists, um, there's, seems like there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of parallel, there's a lot of new territory. Um, I assume you have thoughts. Uh, and if so, what are they? So I, b- before, when I was in technology, I, I founded my own AI software company and I co-wrote a patent with Dr. Constantine Papageorgiou from the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. So the current GPT and similar writing modules are best trained by long form writing. So they, they scrape up a lot of stuff from the, from the web. But long form writing is how just how those algorithms are best able to mimic speech. And as it turns out, the best way to mimic speech in long form writing are romance novels. I am not kidding you. <laughs> so if you look, they down the the chat GPT folks, which they could get away with because at the time they were a research, whatever, um, not a not a commercial operation, they downloaded from a, a um a vendor called Smashwords. They downloaded 300,000 books from their collection. And that is the machine learning book corpus that all these AI writing systems use. And they made the decision to not compensate any of the authors that are in that corpus. So um, I'm pretty sure my stuff is in there because if I ask it to write a chapter about one of my books, it comes up with the character names and all that stuff. So I but um, so I, so there's the first issue, which is I, it's not ethical to take people's work and not even pay them like four ninety nine or whatever for your book and put it into a machine corpus and make billions of dollars over it for over what will be you know years and years to come. So first of all, that's scummy and that should not be allowed. And they should, and they know exactly who they stole from because. You prioritize certain sentences higher based on what the system sees as success is it keeps the conversation going. So if one, it's like uh, making um, French onion soup. If one vendor gives you terrible onions, you're not going to go back and put that in the soup, right? So it knows where it's pulling in the, the good onions, the good content, and it's prioritizing that stuff. So it could, they could, they just got, ChatGPT just got 10 billion from Microsoft. They could know who is giving them the best onions, the best content and pay them some percentage, right? And that's one thing that's being bought out in the courts. So legal aside, um, I I know of a, it's a, it's a hot topic. I know a lot of folks feel very, like it's uh, um, super helpful for them to have, um, you know, AI draft out books for them. Um, they're, for me as a creator, the idea of the, the way the system works under the under the hood is that it's not intelligent. It's like if you're going to, if you're an Amazon picker and you're picking out 
boxes of stuff to put into your cart, right? To then ship off somewhere, right? What the AI system does is it says, if someone says this box, this sentence, the next most likely percent chance is that they'll say that I should say this box. So it's coming out with the most average response and next thing based on what you've asked it to put together. And for me, as knowing that's what's happening under the hood, it makes me ill, which is really not fair because for other people, it's very helpful. But for me, ill. I work very hard that I'm not coming up with anything that other people do. Well, you have a lot of knowledge about AI. <laughs> I didn't expect, I mean, no, that's, it's great. And I cheated. Good. I looked at her website before the podcast, Eileen. Oh, so. I had a long uh, thing. Yeah. There's, I could go on for even I more. didn't read any of it, but you know, I, I kind of had a feeling. You so. saw it? Yeah. And, and also there's the bad people. It, there used to be 800 books a day being loaded into Amazon. There's now over 4,000 and that's across all. Of, so it's, they're just gunking up um, the legit authors so that it's hard for us to be discovered. Uh, I can't remember the the name of something that came out that's like injecting like copyright infringing material into stuff. So then I, I thought that was also pretty amusing. Um, yeah, Jane Friedman, she's an author who someone, you know, she writes like how to how to write books, and someone just put out a whole bunch of how to write books. Write a write me five how to write books like and Jane Friedman does. Post them on Amazon, and it got attached to her author page before she figured out what was happening so <laughs> I have faith in Amazon they're very sneaky they'll figure out how to shut this stuff down but for now it's really frustrating um it's like this and also as a as a creative to think of people seeing you know this is like a get rich quick scheme it's just again foul. well we're on to our last question do you have any autistic characters in your books and are they canon or just threats? Why or why not? So my most out autistic, I don't call her that, but it's it's my science fiction series and her name is Mamie Archer and she writes code and, um, you know, I just had a lot of fun about with her, um, uh, uh, you know, picking apart other people's code and all that. It's just, it's just, she was somebody that I kind of, kind of let the um, the autism flag fly, and although I didn't, you know, call it out as such, and it's been neat to see that pe people from all uh, all different backgrounds enjoy that that series. Although, just because it is science fiction, it does kind of have a limited appeal. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> more focused, more focused. I have a I have a, a short story coming out next year in the science fiction magazine one of them so i'm not giving up on that by the way did you uh write all your books did you self-publish all of your books or did you go through a publisher i self-published them all and i am i have just now recently signed with an agent and so i'm going to be going going back to the man yeah soon <laughs> so we'll see nice G good luck it's uh such one an exhausting process you know, it, it um, it's one of these things where like working again, like being in your kind of your autism bubble where um, and working with my agent, she's like, this is so great because the, the book that I'm doing is going to be fan is going to be the graphic novel fantasy and the artist that I'm working that I found is also a woman. And she's like, we're going to be I, I, she's like, I can't wait to pitch a fantasy book written by a woman and illustrated by a woman. And I was like, 
oh, is that a thing? <laughs> is that like a thing that people don't do a lot? And so then I started Googling. I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> how have I been doing this for so long? And I had no idea there's this huge, you know, where are the, where are the, you know, hardcore fantasy sci-fi women writers out there? Okay. Now I know. Writing fan fiction. <laughs> they are writing fan fiction. Yep. So, um, yeah, more people should approach the, the, uh, the agents of the world. Before I ask you the quick fire questions, you want to tell people like a little bit, like where they can find you on social media, if at all, and any of like your books, anything you want to promote, like free for all. Oh, thank you. So you can find my books at uh, christinabauerauthor.com. And there are links there to my audiobooks. I've got TikTok and Instagram and um, Facebook. And I love connecting with readers. And uh, yeah, come check check it out. I'm, 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 I try to consistently do odd things that people might find interesting. I like that. That's <laughs> that. That's my favorite thing, right? <laughs> Very good at it, Andrew. Weird things. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you the quick fire questions. It's going to be five questions that you tell me the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Ready? Ready. Favorite animal? Uh, golden retriever. Favorite book? Two TV show movie adaptation. I'm going to go with Edith Hamilton's mythology to, oh crap, it went right to a movie, didn't it? Which was the Clash of the Titans. Although, okay. Um, booked TV show. Or movie. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with Edith Hamilton mythology and Clash of the Titans. Is there another place you love to brainstorm other than the tea? <laughs> um, driving is a very, that yeah, that's a good place to have good flow when I'm alone in the car. So transportation of all. Okay. transportation all around yeah and and in starbucks with coffee like yeah give, give myself a, a mocha and a corner and my headphones things things happen favorite movie i'll go with casablanca andrew i've seen it <laughs> favorite audiobook uh i'll go with the uh harry potter read by jim dale and the last question, which I guess we did six quickfire questions today. Favorite fantasy TV show? Say fantasy again, Eileen. Fantasy. 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 Uh, now I'm thinking in French, which is causing me trouble. <laughs> <laughs> adore Stranger Things. Oh, me too. I j'aime Stranger Things de ouf. Oh. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Christina. That was very interesting. I feel like it was more of a conversation than an interview because it, <laughs> it was, was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you.